This is CliffCentral.com. Future CEOs on CliffCentral.com. Welcome back to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. My name is Gareth Armstrong. Beside me, the lovely Lubian boy Arnold Hello. in Future CEO Red. Um, as you can hear in our in our voice, we just had uh, a uh, an interesting switch around from a. a, a an entrepreneur that is doing really incredible things. Eighteen between the eighteen and twenty-five, where he is now, he was um, able to land two big clients: Google and Tesla. That Lorenzo, go and listen, go down the, the a young podcast. man doing great things. A young man doing great things. The the gentleman in front of us is no stranger to the future CEO studio. And off air, he described himself <laughs> as. And we we laughed and we said that's going to be our opening line, <laughs> the center of the digital universe. Lee, the, the humility <laughs> is pouring out of you. <laughs> Love it. Um, welcome back to the Future CEO Studio and Cliff Central Studio. It's good to have you here. Thanks for having me. So Just to be clear, though, it's important. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you want to qualify it. <laughs> the point we're actually making is that in this world we live in, which is highly digital, yes. data flows through it. Yes. The organization I look after right now yes. controls a large part of that data, and therefore we are the center of the universe. And you, de- you definitely are. <laughs> Lee Naik, the, the CEO of TransUnion. Uh, just very in, in 30 seconds, tell everyone what TransUnion does. Please. We're an information and risk services provider. We work for thousands of customers and businesses in South Africa, helping them make decisions about you and their businesses. When it comes to extending credit at Luby or giving you your first car, these are key decisions that need to be made. And we take the wealth of data we have, some really smart people and technology, and help to answer those questions. Nice and nice and succinct there, but there's lots to it. You're also, uh, I mean, certainly in your previous role at Accenture, you you were focusing a lot on digital technology, the, the digital revolution, the evolution that is happening around us as well, uh, and and so you've got a lot of insight when it comes to digital. I, I'm I, I see the the logical connection with data. You're also here to to share some of your trends with us, your analysis of 2018 and perhaps beyond. Um, you, you, there's an article on LinkedIn, which I'm, I understand is doing quite well. Um, let's start talking some trends that we should be looking to in 2018 and maybe beyond. Luby, do you want to? And also what I'd like to know, especially being a future CEOs, is how do we stay ahead of the pack? Because it is a rat race out there when it comes to business and competition and thriving and diversifying our, our, our industries. How do we stay Ahead of the pack in 2018 for our business. Why don't I start with your question? Okay. I think it's a better question, actually. Uh, it is. Right. Of course it is. Uh, she's also a lot more beautiful than <laughs> characters. She, of course she is. Yes, please. <laughs> so, so here's the point. Did you see us red, honey? It does the trick. Yes. So I guess the key thing about what I do, at least in terms of my writing, I'm trying to find a way to impart knowledge to your future CEOs and other people as to what you practically do when you are given an onslaught of knowledge every day, whether it's Elon Musk or Lorenzo or anybody else. When you hear about things like artificial intelligence, the robots are coming, what do you do about it? The fourth industrial revolution. Absolutely. And I can help you make that problem go away today, right? So, okay. so let's talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> but here's the point about, about learning and being relevant. You are in a world that's intrinsically digital. Every day something new changes. And my advice to myself in my journey to becoming a CEO and those that I'll give to your future CEOs is 
Every day is a, le- a day of learning. So every single day without fail, I'm looking to assimilate new knowledge. Whether it's reading about Donald Trump or Putin or about the new technology, every morning I start with, with acquiring new, new knowledge, assimilating it, and then figuring out what is my point of view on it. Mm. The biggest challenge in mm. life right now is we have so much floating around us. What is your point of view on any given topic? Love mm. that. Which is why... I think the reason why I've done well in my career and when I write and when I talk up on stage, it's because I tend to have a point of view on most things. You, sta- you stand in a, p- a particular point. And, and, you and, if you, and if we all say the same thing, no one's ever going to pay attention to you. So I think relevance is standing out in a crowd of 55 million South Africans. What is your point of view, whether it's about the economy, about the VAT, about the US president, whether it's our president, I think it's how you acquire knowledge, develop a point of view and back yourself to stay with those critical views. thinking absolutely or as i call it packaged common sense pa- packaged. <laughs> okay but but let me step in here and this is going to take us into your article in fact sure. it, it, packaged common sense is one thing but uh, in the world of of ai and the rising of the robots and 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 how do we then do what you're describing? How do we take a position that we can hold and and can be viewed with some kind of credibility in a world where actually data, if you if you dig and dig it uh, deep enough and you look at it closely enough, it's probably going to undermine everything that we're all saying all the time anyway. Yeah, just for Garrett's benefit, Luby, it's important to recognize that Arnold was wrong. Skynet is not coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Are you sure? Uh, it's not coming. Are you sure? I'm sure. Not in 2018. You've got some time. Okay. By the time okay. Elon's uh, car that. reaches Mars, maybe, mm. but not today. And it, it is a jokey point, but it's an important point because artificial intelligence is quite scary. Mm. Why is it scary? We hear every single day of job losses. The robots are coming. They're taking over. But let's think about the stats. Let's look at our country right now. We have high unemployment, 27.7%. GDP growth is 0.6%. Access problems. It's tough there, right? We have basic infrastructure problems. Now, that's one perspective. In the other perspective, these businesses running are struggling to just survive in their day-to-day operations. Automation of how they work, what we call robotic process automation, Mm. allows them to do what they need to do better, cheaper, faster. That's just to keep the lights running. And it's a necessary evil in their very existence as a business. Now, what what we don't don't always hear about when we talk about the job losses is that artificial intelligence and technology allows new jobs to be done. There are jobs that I pay people for at TransUnion that did not exist five years ago. Okay, I'm going to interrupt you. Can I also say something? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Um, I'm concerned about those those individuals that, yes, we may create new jobs, but there's potentially fewer of them. We don't know yet, perhaps. But then there's also a whole bunch of people, a massive amount, the masses, um, as we call them, that won't be able to do those jobs because there's a technical requirement that they just don't qualify for. And then on my side, uh, simply I think that from a woman's point of view, your kids, what are you teaching them to be? What are they, what are you, what kind of schools are you putting them in for them to become what kind of professionals? That's my question. Very good. So let's do all of that. Okay. So a couple of things worth noting. The World Economic Forum has, has just concluded and here's an interesting stat. 65% of kids entering their primary school education right now will end up in jobs that do not exist today. 
right? I want you to take that and think about it. I'm going to come back to it. Now, it's important, right? Because let's go back to Garrett's point. So as we see some of these jobs taper out, now let's think, Garrett, about what jobs are starting to taper off. Any job that's prone to repetition, mm-hmm. a rule, if you can do it over and over in a very monotonous kind of manner, chances are technology can do that for you. Those are the ones that will happily change out. Now, I also want to tell you before I conclude this part of the conversation, what jobs can't be replaced? There are things that Garrett Please does, tell us what right, jobs. and you do that are really important. So anything that requires creative and social intelligence, right, things that require orchestration, things that require putting widgets together, right, in, in, in very basically abstract ways, technology cannot do that today. Here's a stat, 47% of all jobs today, right, will in fact not be around by the year 2030. There will be new jobs. My point is around the 53%, which talks about the skills on creativity, right, things that are starting to come into play that we need now need to link our kids into. Now, for sure, absolutely. absolutely without doubt, Having STEM skills, which is the big buzzword right now, yeah. science, tech, engineering, maths, yeah. you want to get those into. I equally want to tell you, Garrett, that that answer cannot be a ubiquitous answer for everybody sure. because not everybody can get into, into that way. However, education has become democratized. Mm. Mm-hmm. I agree. If you haven't heard of the word MOOC, you want to hear about the word MOOC. Yeah, massive online. Massive open, open online, online courses, Thank you. right? Massive so, open online courses. So an example would be edX, Singularity, Coursera. Coursera, yeah. Singularity, if you, yes. If you tell me, Luby, that you really loved what I spoke about, where can I learn it? Yeah. I would say, dude, it's free. It's online. Go and get it. You're the biggest obstacle to you not learning that. Now, it's important. You know, we're having a chat offline with a colleague here, and we're talking about education. And here's the point. Education has been disrupted, right? Your ability to acquire knowledge to take on a new job, it's half the job of the employer to give you the enabling platform to learn. But it's your job equally to say, I feel that I'm being threatened in my job security. How do I acquire new knowledge and skill to drive my own relevance? So it is a balancing. There's probably a third dimension to all of this, Luby. It's around a conversation that Elon Musk that you referred to earlier, as well as uh, Bill Gates have been talking about. Do you actually drive a tax regime around the implication on people due to job losses from from artificial intelligence mm. and no, automation? Good question. Right? It yes. is a good question. And for example, should we be taxing organizations to get a pot of money to actually drive skills building? Mm. So in my experience, because I've seen how I've had to become more relevant to take on the CEO job Absolutely. of a business I didn't grow up in. And in a matter of weeks, I learned things. Mm. But when I was here a few years ago, when I headed up Accenture Digital, I had to learn design thinking. I did not go to university for that. Mm. I felt the need to drive my own relevance, and that's how I did it. Now, you're also going to tell me, because I can see it in your face, Lee, but we all can't do that. We all that's, can't. That's my face, yes. We all can't get onto the internet and get that happening. But there's so much happening, whether it's Codex and Michael Yordan, whether it's Arlene Mulder with We Think Code. There's so many folk looking to do things the Khan Academy the Khan Academy that's right so I think it's about the private sector public sector government coming together Mm. if you look at the Simolokong digital precinct in the center of Joburg it's happening there 
Mm. There are over 350 hubs across Africa that are starting to do this. Mm. So for me, as a technologist that's very, very outcome-driven and wants to make a difference, it all feels dreary. But if we apply our mind to the opportunity, this technology is an enabler of great success as well. I know. I, I know. Sorry, I know. I'm often contrary. You're getting us both excited. Con- We're both at the same time. You're getting us excited, Yeah. So I, 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 <laughs> and I'm always contrary in my view, which I, but what I do hear you saying, and I really appreciate it, is drive your own relevance. I love uh, and that. you, you just absolutely have to. It's I not, love that. Uh, and so as much as I might say, well, people don't have those opportunities, actually, you just have to do it yourself and, and, and make it a priority. So everyone that's listening, go and drive your own relevance. I feel the need to quote my mother. Quote your mother. Yes, please do. My mom always says, I'm praying for you every day, my son. You've got to meet God halfway. Mm. Very, very, very nice. We'll put that on social media somewhere, I think, right? Um, All right. Here's another topic that you are speaking about, Lee, in your your article, which is it's the end of the app as we know it. What what exactly do you mean by that? The end of the app as we know it. Aren't apps just starting? Uh, what, What exactly are you saying? Well, here's the point. So if I asked uh, a random businessman who's struggling, he says, well, I've been told my business is struggling. We should build an app. But so have three million other apps had the exact same idea. Mm. Now, here's the point. If I stole Luby's phone for a minute and reset it and I said, Luby, you can only choose five apps. Which ones would you Which choose? Which ones would you choose? Mm. You would let go of hundreds of apps that I know you have. The point is that the app has now become a channel of how we work and how we live. It's the same example we used a few years ago. We don't go into banks to do bankings. We use our mobile app. Now, the app is not a bank, but it's a conduit and an accepted channel of how I communicate. Now, when we think of a bank, for example, we think of talking to a banker on the phone, talking to a contact center, walking into a branch. We've assumed these are the channels of what we call an omni-channel strategy. But this mobile thing, the device I have in my hand, it's the way I exist and the way I work. Now, the end of the app I'm not saying that apps are going to die. I'm saying that people are mistaking the app for a new business model, Mm. right? It isn't a business model. It's a a clear channel Mm. that's now central to how the model works. Now, let me give you an example. I may have an app for my business on my phone that gets you to use my service. If the experience is terrible or if you don't get exactly what you want from me, you're going to say, forget about the phone. Let me go back to call somebody. This is the point I'm trying to make. The app is not about the app. The app is a method, a, a, a channel to get to you, but it's the experience, how you make me feel in my heart, that I feel loved. The same way that Apple makes me feel whenever they come up with a new phone. I feel that they thought about me, they mm. created a phone to meet Just my needs. Just for you. Just for me. Mm-hmm. It's what we call hyper-personalization. Yep. It sounds like a big buzzy word, but the point is that if you try to mass market, you actually don't feel loved. When I go into my app, and I feel that the things that I want to see are there. You know, it's what we call in marketing terms a segment of one, right? You feel that your bank, your telco says, hey, I know what you need. Yeah. Just, just, just you. Just, just you, Just you, yeah. just you. Now, I'm going to give you an ARB example. This is a really cool ARB <laughs> example. Bring it, bring it. And I love this. So one of the large banks was thinking about how do they serve the youth market? Now, if you're in university on a Friday night and you're at the res, you're staying over and you're thinking it's party night, 
right? What do you do? So this bank was saying, let's create an app for that market. The university guys that are, you know, it's somewhere in their, in their lifespan, right? So they spend a lot of time doing what we call user experience design or what we call design thinking rather. Mm-hmm. And they found an app. When they built the app, all the app did is one thing. You open up the app and told you how many beers you can buy. <laughs> Based on the money you have in your account. From the bank. bank. But think about this. What's the most relevant question on a Friday night? Can I afford any alcohol? Or who am I going to bum off, right? Now, all the other stuff was there, you know, transactions. But on a Friday night, how many beers I can buy is actually the right question. And that's the thing about hyper-personalization. It's the same way now when I came into my car and I plugged into my Apple CarPlay, it shut down. My phone said, you are driving, so do not disturb goes mm-hmm. on because it wants me focused. You feel the connection. So I think the point to take away from this trend is that don't be hyper-focused on just creating apps. App is a channel, but the channel requires this context and experience to be there or your business will still be relevant. Mm-hmm. And like in the example I gave to Luby, if I reset her phone, 90% of what she used to have will not be there at least for a month or two mm. because she doesn't need it every day as part of how she lives. Mm. That's why I love the question that you asked or posed to people. Are you hiring and empowering the right creatives and data experts and strategists to make the sense of all this volume and variety of data that already is out there? I think that's so intrinsic, especially once you want to upscale your business or just have a voice of relevance that these are the kind of questions you've got to ask yourself as a as an entrepreneur Lee absolutely and and I'm going to answer generally maybe I'll give you a specific example as well but here's my point the reality is that we become commodity whether you're a commodity today or a commodity tomorrow so let's give you an example uh, maybe you're an expert yo-yo spinner Right, as an example, you spin yo-yo Garrett better than nobody else. But over a period of time, there are more entrants into the yo-yo spinning space. Sure. Or for that space, bricklaying or Java coding or building apps. As that commoditization happens, you actually feel that you're not part, you're part of a commodity, right? Mm. And what you're going to do is stand out. So one part is, what is the bigger purpose that drives you? What problem are you solving? And if you, if you left without the context in what you do, you actually don't feel fulfilled in your heart, but you also aren't making a bigger difference. Now, an example, which if I can, Garrett, uh, you mentioned earlier some of the stuff we've been up to this week. One of the key things I've been passionate about for years, and now I have a chance to do something about it, is financial inclusion, right? So we asked the teams back at TransUnion, guys, with all this data we have, there must be a way to get more of the people that can't access this credit market and the economy. Remember, we're a credit-centered economy, right? Are there people that aren't part of that? Mm. We did something. We're using fancy words like artificial intelligence, Mm. but there's another concept called alternative data which sounds like another Matrix-type movie. Mm. But what alternative data is, there are things about you that are useful in predicting your behavior in other spheres of your life. For example, the employment you have or where you live could be linked to the type of people that live in your area and how good their credit record is. So yes, you may be a new entrant to an area, but based on other things, we can infer patterns about you. And the other thing we don't do as South Africans is we don't seem to forgive Right, we found a way in this data exercise we've been doing to find patterns of reformation and rehabilitation. For example, if you've been struggling for a while 
right? When it's too late, you get into bad debt and then you're in trouble. What if you could predict that Pluby was about to go into early distress even before you knew it and you could do something about Love it? Love that. So we launched something this week called Credit Vision. And what we were able to do very, very simply is we found up to 3 million good consumers in the South African population that can't access this formal credit market that potentially once banks and lenders and telcos start to use this new way of using advanced technologies should allow people to get access and for me when you see more people having access and being included socially and financially then i know i've made a difference and that's what technology is about in and of itself it is not useful unless it serves a greater purpose you know what I appreciate about sure. the fact that you're here doing this is is that the, uh, that you're you're a good person, being able to use data in the right ways. Uh, as you were talking, I beg your pardon. As you were talking, I was just thinking: imagine what data could be used for in the wrong person's hands and with, with the wrong kind of view. Um, how do we protect data? So you're in the world of of a certain type of data that does need to be protected. Just talk to the consumer now which doesn't want to have everything analyzed over analyzed and then my future behavior predicted how do we how do we control this how do we manage it uh, in in a particular kind of way so it doesn't feel like we're being intruded upon so two parts one the kind of work we do as transunion we're a highly regulated entity uh, somebody called the national credit regulator there are only six of us in the whole country in terms of entities that are allowed to use this consumer data with permission because mm-hmm. we're using it to help drive key decisions that affect the economy and the broader market. In terms of Garrett's question, it's a really interesting question because we assume that people would not want to share their data. Mm-hmm. But here's the point, and I've done all the research over the last few years. If I offered you value mm-hmm. in exchange for you sharing your data, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm compliant with POPIA, which is our new protection of personal information legislation, mm-hmm. if I exchange you value in change for your data, and I know that data was starting and ending, you'd actually agree to that. That's sure. the reality. Sure. So we all need to be ultra-focused on what we share. But remember, POPIA, which comes into place right now, it's in the process, every organization is looking through it, is meant to protect you as the end consumer. It's 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 excellent legislation following the likes of the UK and Canada. It seeks to protect the consumer and puts the burden actually on the organization that handles your data. So a lot of this is built into how we work. For example, security, it's how we live and breathe. We're always looking ahead of the game to make sure these checks and balances are in place. Mm. Truth be told, Garrett, is that everyone's data is out there. You heard about the data breaches last year. So we look for ways to now say, great, it's out there or not so great out there. What do we start to do to help drive, you know, this panic you have in your heart? So, for example, we did something this last year where for a period of time we made available a free alert product. Mm. So when somebody inquired at your bank about your ID number, we'd send you an SMS immediately. Now, the world that I mentioned earlier about data being the center of the digital universe, data is the blood that flows through. And if we can start to trigger events based on that, we can start to give us more confidence, more comfort that technology is not a scary thing. Mm. If you coexist with it, there's so much value. Fascinating stuff, Lee. Fascinating. What is a book that you're going to recommend for us to read as future CEOs? 
I have a You're book. right. I know. I know. I know. Well, I would say, yeah. read my blog. Read your blog. <laughs> but, but, a shameless plug. No, well, I, 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 well, there's two points. One, one I think is, if you go back to the first feedback I gave to Tlubi, reading my blog only to figure out how to develop a point of view. Mm. For example, I I, I've been going around asking people, WEF this year. What did you hear? People mm. said, I heard nothing, mm. which is interesting because WEF last year was very loud, right? This year, nobody went and read it. So I went and read all the stuff about it and I published a piece today. Mm. What do you think about WEF? The book that I recommend for future CEOs, it's the same recommendation I'll give you all the time. It's called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Okay. I'm not sure you guys have heard about it. No, no we know. But, but it's a very purpose-driven thing. If you've got no purpose. What is your why? Exactly. You're going to go nowhere. And if you don't know your why, find yourself, introspect, figure it out, and then your journey can unfold. That uh, There is one more point that we didn't touch on, which then perhaps is my counterpoint to Skynet and, and Arnold and all of this stuff, which is the Internet of Things. We're not going to be able to get there, unfortunately, in this conversation. So uh, everyone, please go to, to Lee's blog on LinkedIn. Yep. You'll be able to read it, read his thoughts on the Internet of Things and how everything's uh, becoming connected. And 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 um, just Lee, uh, just uh, how do so? What do people look for specifically? You yeah. can go to LinkedIn.com forward slash N A I K L, or you can do what Gareth does and just Google Lee Nike. <laughs> Every other day, yes. <laughs> thank you, Lee, for your time and thank you for your insights. We always appreciate you being here and um, always leave the studio sure, having been empowered with knowledge. Thank you. My thank pleasure. You so very much. Future CEOs, drive your relevance. Do you hear me? Drive your relevance. We'll see you same time, same place next week. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. This is cliffcentral.com.